We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, church family. I know some of y'all are thinking, I can't believe they're going to let him do this. <laughs> There's something you need to know. I can't believe it either. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, I am so proud to be home today, to be back with the church that ordained you and sent you out because I've been gone so much and I am grateful for that because God has allowed me to be a part of some amazing other churches. He's called me to fill in for churches while they search for a pastor. He has not called me to be at home in one yet and I'll be glad when he does and I'll explain to you why. Because this time that I get to spend with these churches and a lot of times it takes a minute for them to find a pastor. You get close with some of these people. And when they find that pastor and it's time for God to move you somewhere else, it hurts. I happen to have a couple of those people today that God has allowed me to be able to experience and get to know through this travel that he has sent me on and being obedient to his word. And one thing they will probably tell you that I will probably be told or said about when I get beyond my doing this is he probably shared more than he should have shared. He was probably just a little bit too honest. But if you cannot be honest with the family of God, who are we going to be honest with? And I am proud to be able to be here today with you to take this word. And there's something I need to be honest with you about. I'm scared to death. But I'm not scared to death of the reasons why you think I should be scared to death because there's a whole bunch of y'all in here today. I'm not scared because of the fact you're used to listening to Brother Larry. I'm terrified for the fact that God has called me to proclaim the word and the possibility that I could mess that up. To stand up and proclaim something that's being truth that is not. And I pray that I never lose that fear. That I always maintain the respect and the reverence to the word of God as for what it is. And I never want to misrepresent that. And I am grateful for God taking a water well driller and calling him to be obedient to the word. As we today are going to take a look at this word, at this letter given to all of us by a mighty and holy God to explain himself to us, to explain how much he loved us through giving us his son that we might have salvation. We're going to be looking at this letter and we're going to be taking a letter within this letter and it's going to be written by a man named Paul to a church. A church that he loved. A church that supported him, that knew him. That was there for him in the times when he needed it. And it's going to be a response to them for having sent him a gift when Paul found himself in prison yet again. That would have not have been a surprise to this particular church. We need to understand who would have been in the congregation that day that Epaphroditus made it back with this letter and said, I've got a letter from Paul. And they would have said, read it. Because they would have known exactly who he was and exactly the commitment and the level of obedience in his life. We know that probably Lydia was there, one of those original women outside the town that Paul originally witnessed to that came to knowledge of Christ and was saved. We would have known that the jailer and his family were there that came to knowledge of Christ by the witness of Paul in prison, beaten to a pulp and chained to a wall by him. 
but yet at midnight was in there praising God was Silas. These people would have known exactly who Paul was and exactly how committed he was to living out this faith. And they would have desired to understand what he was wanting to express to them. And he starts that letter in chapter 1 with gratitude. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for me. And I am so grateful to God for you because I love you so much. And I miss being with you. And he shares with them some of the concerns that they have. They're worried about what they're hearing about Paul. He says, don't worry about what you hear about me as long as the message of Christ is being preached. And he calls them to be united together because Paul has probably heard that there are attacks on the church from without. But a lot of times, some of the most severe attacks that we will face will come within the body. And he is calling them to be united to be of one mind with one purpose, and that is to glorify God. And in this, we will take in chapter 2, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and that's where we will start. Verse 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, so I don't want to throw you off. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement any in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. God, today I am grateful for the many blessings of this life. Oh, but today I am especially grateful for your word. I am grateful for the power of your word. Lord, right now I ask the Holy Spirit would take the weight of these scriptures that we are going to examine, Lord, and he would settle it completely on our hearts. Lord, humble us in Jesus' name. Paul took this idea of humility 
which he knew was what was going to require for this body of believers to be able to be united. And he didn't give them the example of, all right, y'all, you know me. I want you to do what I do. I want you to follow my example to be able to be Christ-like. He gives them the perfect example, the ultimate example of what humility is. And be careful as we start to examine this. If you've never put any thought into this, this is going to get heavy. This is going to, if you have submitted yourself to Christ, humble you. When he says, have this mindset, not a human mindset, not my mindset, but the mindset of Jesus Christ himself, who being in the form of God, the Greek has two different words that it uses for this word that they use here in the English is form. One is morphe and the other is scheme. This particular one is the morphe and it refers to something's natural essence, what it is in its unchanging state, that Jesus is God. There are going to be people that you are going to encounter who are going to disagree with you on this. And if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you a couple of simple things to take with you. When they argue with you or discuss with you that Jesus being something other than God, you take them to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they'll say, well, that's a misinterpretation. It's probably referring to him as being a God. The Greek is clear in this. It does not say he is a God. It says he is the God. And they'll say, well, he never really claimed to be God. You take them to Luke chapter 5, and you show them the story of the men who took their paralyzed friend, who they wanted to be able to bring to Jesus, who they had heard about. And they couldn't get through the crowd, so they took him to the top of the roof and they tore the tiles apart and they lowered him down in front of the crowd, in front of Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and go. They said, well, it doesn't really say a lot to me. I guarantee you everyone standing in that room and everyone that would have heard this story would have understood. You keep reading. The only one that was capable of forgiving sin was God. Why do you think the religious leaders wanted to kill him? Because he is, he is calling himself equal with God. You'll have people tell you he was a good prophet. He was just a good teacher. You take them to John chapter 14. You show them the story where he is in conversation with the disciples and he is telling them about going to a place to prepare it for them and that they know the way. And thank God for Thomas who voices what everybody else standing there was thinking. He was just the only one that would say it, but Jesus, we don't know. We don't know the way. And Jesus gives us in John chapter 14 the very scripture that we as Christians and believers can hang our hat on, that we can hang our lives, our, stake our ability to claim salvation in. When he tells him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself, this good teacher who was actually the best teacher, just did away with all other forms of getting to heaven. He just did away with this idea that there's many paths to heaven. He just said, I am the way. He just did away with the idea that there are many truths in this life that is subjective. What's true for you might not be true for me. He says, I am the truth. 
And he says, I am the life that no man gets to the Father except through me. We have two choices when it comes to the Word of God. You can accept it as being true, completely true, or you can deny it. You do not have the right or the ability to change it. You do not have the right or the ability to pick parts of it that you want to invest yourself in and discount the others. Paul's not done. He says that he did not count being equal with God as something to be grasped a hold of. Here's where we understand humility. We have as Christians to settle in our hearts who Christ is in being God. But we need to understand what he did. He emptied himself out, coming in the form of a servant. There's that morphe again. There is a natural essence of being a servant, a servant to the Father. He emptied himself out. Did you say, well, did he empty himself out of being God? No, he did not at one bit release any of his ever being God. He emptied himself out of his glory, out of his will. And you say, well, you're going to have to back that up. You go to John chapter 17, and you see Jesus in prayer to the Father in that high priestly prayer. And he's saying, Father, restore to me the glory that I once had before the world ever began. We know that he emptied himself out of his will when we see him in the garden praying to the Father, if there's a way to remove this cup from me. And he gives us the greatest example in saying, not my will be done, but yours. It says that he humbled himself and came in the form, being in the form of a man. Here's the word scheme, how something physically appears. To give you an idea of how that could relate to you, you yourself were once a zygote, an embryo, a fetus, an infant, a newborn, a child, a toddler, a preteen, a teenager, an adult, and if God blessed you with time, a senior adult. Your physical appearance has continually changed your entire life, but you have always been, from the very moment of your conception, a human being. That part of you has never changed. Coming in the form of a man, he was obedient and humbled himself to death. When we talk about humbling ourselves to be able to serve God, how far are you willing to take it? Jesus took it to death. And Paul still does not stop there. He says death even on a cross. That might not weigh heavily on you right now because we have separated ourselves from the cross. We have a good idea of what that was like, but I'll guarantee you, no matter what movie we watch or what description we, we understand, had we not been standing there, had we not been Jesus himself on that cross, we will never fully understand what that meant or what that was like to go through. Because there's points in Scripture where I absolutely stop, where it humbles me to where I don't know what to say or do. 
This is one of those points when I realized that God himself left his throne to come here to live the life of a servant to the point of death on the death on the cross for my salvation. And the idea and the understanding that when he did that, it was not just a physical death. He was my substitute. The penalty for my sin did not vanish when I was forgiven. The penalty of my sin was paid for by my Savior on that cross. And that breaks me because I know me. I know the sin of my life. I know the condition of my heart. I know the state of my mind. And I know I'm not worth it. But he did it anyway. And to understand that is to understand grace. That we do not deserve it. But he loved us that much. He humbled himself that much. I'm sure this church, this early church, would not have been far removed from the cross. They would have still been carrying the full weight of the understanding of what he did. But having been able to humble them and understand what humility was, Paul shows them what is going to come. He tells them that therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father do you know what that means? That there's coming a day when everyone in heaven will give Jesus the recognition of who he is. Everyone on earth, and I'm not talking about just us sitting in this building, believer and non-believer alike, will be humbled and bow. Everyone in hell, and what just gets me to know in is know that Satan will bow his knee one day to my Savior in defeat and acknowledge him as Lord. How can we not share that with somebody? How can we not tell him what Christ did for me is available for you and what is to come? I'll challenge you to understand the society we live in. We have diminished the idea of the reality of hell. So much so that you would say, well, that's probably right. With it, dealing with non-believers... I would challenge it even further to say that it is within the body of Christ. Even in our little part of the world, in what we call the Bible Belt, people that carry the name Christian around on the weekends, on Sunday, well, yet, but on Saturday, because you follow another football team and another college, tell you to go to hell. You are diminishing the idea of those around you of the reality of hell because it is something trivial place because I don't like you that I have the ability to say that you should go. And if you're sitting there thinking, whoo, glad that's not me. I've never said that. You might want to hold on because what I'm fixing to say is probably fixing to hurt. How often do we as Christians maybe not utter with the words of our mouth, but with of the condition of our heart, 
having become so tired of the world we live in from someone who we differ with politically, who we differ with about sexual immorality, who we differ with about the, the subject of abortion, who we differ with about faith, that we in our own, own heart would say, to hell with you. You say, well, I wouldn't say that. How about the fact of saying something like, I'm done with you. If you're sitting here wondering, am I the only one that maybe possibly have done that? Don't really want to look around and see if it identifies with anybody else. Let me save you the trouble. I'm guilty of doing that. I'm guilty, and I would love to tell you that I am a long way separated from ever having felt that way, but I'm going to be honest with you because that's what we do. It hadn't been quite a year ago. I was in conversation with two friends of mine about another person, and during that conversation, I uttered the words, to hell, I'm sorry, my mind, I'm done with him. I'm done with him. You ever said something and knew you were wrong, but you were so dug in to how you felt about it that you just let it ride? I did. Later that night, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Son, you're, you're surrendered to the ministry. You're supposed to understand better than this. But what settled on my heart was the fact of knowing that Jesus could look at me and have at any time said, I'm done with you. And he would have been justified in telling me that. And I had to repent. I had to ask God to forgive me. And I love God's sense of humor sometimes because the very next day, he put me back with those very same two fellas that I had made that comment to. And when we were in conversation, I had to stop them and say, hold up a second, I gotta tell y'all something. What is it? I gotta apologize to you for what I said yesterday when I told you I was done with that guy. And I told him about the conviction on my heart. I told him about having understood that Jesus could have been done with me a long time ago, but he wasn't. But how often as Christians we get defensive about how we feel and about our opinion and we want to not only defend it to the people around us, but we want to defend it to God like we're going to explain something to Him. But you don't understand, they're never going to get it. They're never going to come to a, a accepting faith. They're never going to repent. They're never going to be made new by the Holy Spirit in that regeneration. You don't know that. Because that's exactly what the early church would have said about Paul, the man who just wrote this letter. Because he knew exactly who God was before his salvation. He knew who Jesus was. He had heard the gospel. And he not only disagreed with it, he hated it. He hated it so much he tried his best to stop the spread of it to the point of killing Christians. Do you remember Stephen? But just like this early church would not, and just like we do not today, we would not understand that God had a plan God knew he would change Paul. God knew he would come 
to acknowledge of who Christ was, confess Him as Lord, repent of His sins, and be made completely new by the Holy Spirit. So how do we not tell someone? Because Paul's not done. He's got them to understand humility. He wants them to understand unity, but for what purpose? Can you imagine what he would want to tell them? He says, therefore, my beloved, and I love that, because he's not writing this to them out of anger. He's writing them to this out of love as those that he serves with in spreading the message of Christ. My beloved, work as you have always been obedient, not only in my presence, but more so in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work to His good pleasure. Understand this also. God, Paul is not telling them to work for their salvation. He is talking to a body of believers who is already saved. He is telling them because of your salvation, you are to work it out. To work out in this world what God has worked in us. Can you imagine if the early church had not worked out their salvation? You and I would never have heard the gospel. With fear and trembling. He's not telling you to be scared of what you're going to encounter. With respect and reverence to the word that we have been given. With fear of God. Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. A lot of times what fails us as Christians to be able to submit ourselves to God is we don't set in our mind who God is. For it is God who puts within us the will to do what we do. I heard a preacher compare working out our salvation to a physical workout. I found it compelling. Did you know that there are 30,000 some odd places within this country to go and work out? Gyms and health clubs. There are 273,500 personal trainers within those gyms to help you get it right. There are 58 million people signed up to be members of these places to go and exercise. But do you want to know a startling fact about those 58 million people? 80% of them will quit within the first five months. If you've ever been part of a gym, you understand. You'll hit it hard first part of January when you want to create that newer you. But it doesn't take you long to get into it to realize this is work. This takes commitment. This takes time. It hurts. At 53, I can lift the wrong way and fill it for a month. Have you ever heard someone say they went to the gym and says, I didn't see the results I thought I should see in the time that I thought I should see them? I'm not getting bigger, not getting stronger as fast as I thought I should. I'm not losing the weight like I thought I should. Other parts of your day that your regular routine before you went to work out start to interfere and you think, you know what, there's better uses of my time. 
Another reason why some people quit, they said they didn't feel supported. Even with 273,500 supposable trainers in these gyms to help you get it right, they didn't feel supported. I understand, you've been to a gym lately? Have you tried to ask somebody something while they were in the gym? What you're probably gonna see is the first thing they're gonna do is take their earbud out and they're gonna look at you. Little piece of advice to you, if you're gonna try this, have thought the process out. You think about everything you want to ask them in that first time because it is code for you. When they put the earbud back in, they're done. You will feel like you are a bother. You say, well, how does all that relate to our Christian walk? Do you remember the day that you were saved? Do you remember that first period of time after your salvation? You wanted to tell everybody you felt like you were walking just a little bit off of the ground. The world was lighter. And the devil will give you that period of time because he knows he has time. And as you progress along that, then things of your day, things of your world that you encounter will all of a sudden start to creep into this joy that you once had in sharing this testimony. And you realize this takes work. This takes work and commitment for me to stay in this word because if you are a new believer, you need this word to defend what you are fixing to encounter because if you think you have been tempted by the devil, wait. He will start throwing things in your day and your week that say, you know what, maybe I, I, I don't really have time. It's going to require more of me than what I need. This is going to hurt sometimes because of what people say to me or what they think of me. Have you ever heard someone who has been a part of a ministry, any point of service in the church, make the comment, I didn't see the results I thought I should see within the time that I thought I should see them? If you are thinking about surrendering your life to the ministry to proclaim the Word of God, you need to understand this one right now. You will be tempted to base your success off of your serving God off of what you see happen. The response you see from when you pour out the Word of God. And then when you don't see that, you're going to have Satan in your ear telling you, you know what, I think you misunderstood. That's not what God had in mind for you. You really aren't any good at this. I don't know why you even bother. You need to settle in your mind, in your heart right now as a Christian believer, whether you're standing behind a pulpit or whether you're living out your daily life at school or at work or wherever you are, your success as a Christian is through the being obedient to God, having my joy filled by just pouring out what He has poured into me. You say, but what about not feeling supported? This is a big but loving church. We have a lot of staff here. We have a lot of leadership here. We have a lot of teachers here. We have a lot of people who serve in things you never knew about. But did you know that it is possible to come and sit a part of this congregation and feel completely alone? When you are alone, you are an easy target for Satan. And he's just trying to get this church at Philippi to understand is being together as a body of believers.
to work as a body of believers. That it's going to take humility to set myself aside sometimes. We are very busy people. We a lot of times have a lot planned in our day. Someplace we need to be. As soon as we get done here, I've got to be there. But if you ever find yourself in here with someone you've never seen before, or someone you might see all the time, but you don't ever see them outside of being at a service in here. You take the time to stop and invest in them what God has invested in you. You take them by the hand and say, hey, I don't know where you're headed, but you're welcome to go with me to my small group. You're welcome to come and be a part of what I'm involved in. We should never feel alone in the body of Christ. I am grateful today to be able to call this my home. Y'all, my family. I'm grateful to be able to be honest with y'all when it concerns the Word and how it convicts me. Today, we're going to have the hymn of imitation. What I'm going to ask of you through that period of time is that you respond to what God is doing in you. If He is convicting your heart to come to Him in knowledge of who He is and knowing that you can have forgiveness through your repentance of no recognizing I'm a sinner and I don't deserve this to receive salvation through Him, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If He is calling you to humble yourself in areas where you are not, I understand. If He is calling you to a service, regardless of what that service is, I pray that you don't listen to the devil discourage you because that is exactly what you do. And you would say, why would He do it? We've already understand that there's going to come a day when he knows he is going to bow before Jesus. Why did he have to leave heaven? He desired what God had. He wanted the glory of what God had. And if he can steal one bit of that from you being in service of God, from some one person, from hearing the message of the gospel because of silencing you, he will do it. I pray today that you would respond to whatever God is calling you to. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.